We take on just that added dimension of the spiritual heritage that God has for us through Jesus. The definition of a father from the web is a male parent, someone who sires, bring into being, produce, or bring about. But we all understand that through Adam and his disobedience, that relationship with God the Father was broken. Man became separated from God, and man began to have to do life on his own and uh, do it uh, to the best he could. And as we see uh, life unfolded uh, since Adam's sin, that things are pretty broken and pretty broken in our world. You know, being and speaking from the place of fathers being broken, we want to talk about David a little bit. In 1 Kings 11.4, it says that David had a heart after God. So even though he was, you know, had the broken uh, heritage from Adam like we all do, there was something in in David's heart that had a connection with God and he began to have a nurturing relationship with God. But we know as David grew into different places in his life and became that warrior and became that one who uh, took, took down Goliath and began to rise up in the kingdom under Saul, that as he took on the kingdom, that he, uh, he kind of went back. That one night where he didn't go to battle and he just looked out there and he decided he wanted Bathsheba and he took her and then had her husband killed. That there began to be a great sin that came upon him and a great brokenness that came even generationally into his family. You know, sometimes we can look back at our own family and see things our ancestors did or our great-grandfathers did and see how it plays out in our own life. And in 2 Samuel 12, 9 through 12, um, Nathan really comes on the scene and really confronts David for what he had done. You know, immediately after he had sinned, God forgave him, but he told David some consequences that were going to be happening. He says, you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Amnon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up an adversary, adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel. In Psalms 51, we have that great psalm about David and how he was moved to the depths of his sin and the brokenness and the, that fellowship with God that was broken, but also the sin that he, that he did and what he brought about in bringing this consequence that was heavily upon his family. So in Psalms 51, he, he reads that. And in um, 2 Samuel 12, 13, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. So he boldly confessed his fault to God. He boldly acknowledged what he had done. It says in 2 Samuel 12, 13, the last part of the verse, it says that Nathan uh, said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. Because he had broken the original commandments, not murder and adultery specifically, and so really he should have been stoned to death. He should have died. But God granted him, even under the Old Testament, some forgiveness. But yet we know consequences loomed over his head. The consequences began 
If you read 2 Samuel 13, starting in verse 1, Tamar, Absalom's sister, was raped by Amnon, her stepbrother. Tamar is broken and she's crying bitterly in verse 17. And Absalom, her brother, said, hold your peace, he's your brother, don't take this to heart. <laughs> More easily said than done because we know she was bitterly uh, touched and ruined by that experience. David is angry in verse 21 from hearing what has happened, but he does nothing. It's interesting how secrets and failures uh, not corrected leave something that festers in a family. Absalom hated Amnon because of that, and he said nothing good or bad to Amnon. And so for two years, it seemed like Amnon was getting away with everything, but the hatred and bitterness and really the consequences that were already set in order in David's household were working. The loss of a son. Absalom has Amnon killed, and Absalom has to flee. That's 2 Samuel 13, 28. In Samuel, 2 Samuel 13, 34, it talks about Absalom having to run because he thought now that David was going to be after him for killing his brother. We come to a place called a father's grief in 2 Samuel 13, 37, and David mourned for his son Absalom every day. Here's the guy who commits something so horrible, and now the consequences are coming upon his kids. And I think those of us as fathers who see sometimes our mistakes, we have that same grief of the losses that we cause. And I, and I have to say, in Jesus Christ, our story is not like this story, hopeless. But our story is because of the blood of Jesus Christ, there's an ability to have forgiveness of sin, and God even a changing consequences for us in our lives. In 2 Samuel 13, 39, the first part of the verse, and King David longed to go to Absalom. Again, the consequences of sin cost David his son, the son that he loved. David's grief moved Joab to plan Absalom's return. Absalom had been gone for a long time, and though uh, David would not take a step as a father and a king to bring his son home, uh, Joab had to move and, and work and did some stories and things behind the scenes to get uh, Absalom home. I want to ask this question. Why do fathers withhold their love from their own? There's something about us as men that we can be kind of hold up this, you know, shield, and it's kind of hard to us to relate. I don't understand it, but I think most men have it, where it's hard for us to really open up and, and, um, and be like that. But it's part of like our nature that we have to deal with, and it's part of what God does in us to soften our hearts and help us to be more uh, communicative and um, talk about real things and be honest about our feelings, to be honest about our weaknesses and to humble ourselves. And it is when we're weak and when we humble ourselves with people, we really see great breakthroughs and great restoring of relationships. In 2 Samuel 14, 24, And the king David said, Let Absalom return to his house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his house, but did not see the king's face. Again, another two years passed. Absalom lives close to David, but David's not, not visiting or talking to him. And Absalom gets upset and wonders, why was I brought home if nothing is going to change? Um, Absalom got, if you read the story, Absalom got uh, Joab's attention by setting his fields on fire. 
That got a little action. So in 2 Samuel 14, and when Joab had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. Forty years goes on. Absalom is building his own kingdom. And in 2 Samuel 15, it says that the, the hearts of the people begin to turn from David to Absalom. And in 2 Samuel 15, 7, Absalom moves to take the kingdom away from his father. David escapes to Jerusalem. The hearts of the people of Israel join with Absalom in 2 Samuel 15. And there, this war begins and David flees for his life. And as they begin to fight Absalom, he's defeated. And Absalom... Uh, in 2 Samuel 18, as he's riding on his donkey, his hair gets caught in a tree, and he's kind of hanging there. And because Joab wants to see the kingdom restored to David, he kills David's son Absalom, even though David has said that he did not want his son harmed. There's, again, great regret that fathers have, and David had that regret. It was... It was came out in a father's grief. In 2 Samuel 18.33, Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son. There are times that we feel that way in things and decisions we've made, maybe words that we've said to our children. And it's those seasons and those times where we're aware of our condition and aware of the cause, what we've caused. But when we begin to feel that grief and we cry out, we begin to bring healing to ourselves and even to our children. There are places that we have to make amends at times, and only God can help us to resolve things. And sometimes those people are gone. Sometimes we can't make those amends. But if in your heart you have these experiences, with God, there can be a great forgiveness and a great change that sweeps over. Generational sin, inherited from our grandfather Adam. We see many things that point to generational patterns in our life. The story of, Jay, of, of David shows what is passed down through big mistakes and sins. David's sin uh, was put aside by God but not blotted out. It is through the death and burial of Jesus, the shedding of his blood, that brings the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing of unrighteousness. That once and for all, even though uh, we may battle with our failures as men and as fathers, there's forgiveness. And we're able to combat negative thing, things and negative feelings that we have and to live an overcoming life and to live a different life because the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. It is the deep love of the Father that's in us that God brings and works inside of us that we can change, that we can be transformed. I believe that the consequences and the generational patterns, it is what God has established through the New Testament and our covenant with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to break consequences and to break strongholds. But almost like we have to go to war in places where we see something that has been a generational line and happening in our life. 
And as we begin to pray, even sometimes over our children, when we have seen things come down, we can begin to pray over that next generation and pray that our kids will understand the power of the blood of Jesus and break those strongholds in their life. My wife told me this year that um, she said that the last few years when she goes to Montana as the women gather and talk about their past because she shares so openly of the brokenness in her life, the brokenness in her family, her relationships, having her father leave uh, their family and divorce at five, uh, going into addiction and alcoholism and all the different things that you could go through that uh, she tells about how Jesus has saved her and washed her and cleansed her and delivered her from so many areas. There are women who have had abortions and uh, abuses and all kinds of things in their background. They almost like come alive with this hope and things begin to break off of them when all the people, all the girls get around and pray at the end of the meetings. And they're in awe that God would do that. And that's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. He's a God that breaks generational uh, stigmas and fears and shame and all those things that uh, really are affected from a father and from what has happened in the past. Oswald Chambers said this about the general influences in our soul. He calls it the immortal aspect of the soul. There are racial memories which obtrude themselves into our consciousness whereby a person may be distinctly conscious of a form of life he never lived. It may be a form of life centuries past. The explanation of this does not lie in the fact that the particular individual lived centuries ago, but this his ancestors did. And there are traces in his nervous substance which by one of, the, of, their, one of their incalculable tricks of individual experiences may suddenly emerge into their consciousness. That's that thing working in our souls, that the generational things, just as we sometimes can see ourselves as our parents are, or the things that our parents have done, or say things the way our parents does, there's such a generational things that have passed down. That's why sometimes people think that they, are, um, uh, they, they were reincarnated. It's just the generational things that are passed down in our soul, and they play out that people, the enemy comes and takes advantage, making them think they're, well, they've just been reincarnated. But here is this explaining that there's things that are passed down that must be broken off, that God wants to change. The way back to the Father, Jesus reveals the way. In John 14, 6, Thomas asked, this was just before Jesus went to the cross, Thomas asked, how do we get to the Father? And Jesus answered, I am the way, Thomas, and I am the truth and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's that whole thing about God wanting us to get back to the Father. doesn't matter how good or bad our fathers were. The fact that we can have an incredible relationship with God our Father. I thank my father, even though he was broken. I, I inherited a lot of negative things from my father, but I'm so thankful that in my father's weakness, he came to Christ. In my father's brokenness, God delivered him from alcoholism. In my father's inability to relate and uh, be relational, you know, God uh, showed himself to me. And in my father's weakness and knowing that coming to Christ was his way to begin to start changing his life, that he brought his family to church. And it, it was because of my training and my experience that at eight years old, I, was, I felt God's love and I was able to accept God. 
And I, I have felt like I've had this relationship with God. And because of my father, I feel like my father set up for me uh, a, such an example that I was immediately able to relate to God as my father and to feel his love as a, at an early age, to feel that love coming in at times, it'd just be overwhelming just knowing I'm loved. And as I grew up and got older and started dealing with the things that we all deal with temptation, to know I needed a savior, that I needed Jesus for myself, that he, he alone could deliver me from sin because I had an old nature that could be tempted in every way and to deal with when lust would try to come over me, to know I have a Savior that washed me by His blood, that I could identify with Jesus, and I could identify and have my mind renewed because there was a stronghold through the Word of God that brought me into that place. And then growing a little older in my young adult life, knowing I need the power of God in my life, and so getting baptized with the Holy Spirit, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, to know that other aspect of God, that the, whole, the Holy Spirit could come and live inside of me, that the Holy Spirit was working on me when I, when I wasn't doing my, my best, when I was failing, that it is the Holy Spirit that's continually transforming my life, changing me in those places that are broken. When I saw the generational things, one of the things I deal with is food. My family line, we, food is the thing we've all struggled with, you know, and to know that God is the one that helps me to keep overcoming and dealing with these kind of things. In John 15, 7, Jesus continues, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from, from now on you know him and have seen him. Jesus made the way to restore what we lack from our fathers. And in John 14, 8, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient. You know, we are shown the Father by reading his word and knowing all that Jesus did for us, the forgiveness of our sins, the cleansing by the blood of Jesus and what his sacrifice, sacrifices did for us. And in John 14, 9 through 11, Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Another definition of the Father is over households. It's the very first definition in the Hebrew, in Strong's. A born-again born father reconnects a born-again a father reconnects with God the Father. You could be a better father just by receiving from Jesus Christ a relationship with the Father. I tell you, it takes God in our lives to raise kids. I'm so glad I had God on my side because I could go to my kids and apologize. I've had more conversations in my, with my adult children probably the last four or five years than ever before because they would bring up things that bother them. And I could apologize to them and make amends. And now I don't have an, a relationship with children. I have a relationship adult to adult. And my kids uh, know the Lord. And that's, a, that's the greatest inheritance we have to give our kids that to know 
that if they die, they're going to go home and be with the Lord, and I'm going to see them and be with them for eternity. That's the best thing we can give our kids, more than money, more than uh, you know anything, college or whatever. I mean, all those things are nice, but if you give them eternal life because of, you've introduced them to a relationship with God, you've given them the best. Because out of their relationship with God, they're going to apprehend and appropriate the very things that you have and even more. I love it too. Through God, we have the ability to have that character transformation that we all need. A father's love. A father needs to be born again and reconciled to the father. There's no greater relationship than with the father because it's from the father we get love. And how often us as men are short-tempered, we're focused on projects and things, we, we want to solve things and it's harder for us to sit down and just listen or talk things out like our wives like. They like things talked out. They like to use a lot of words. We want to just solve the problem and move on. So it takes a work of God in our heart to help us adapt to being a different person. And that's what God, our Father, gives us. A real loving Father as a model helps. Daddies are the best. God wants us to be daddies. And God wants to be a daddy to all of us. He wants to be that loving person that we go to. You men who carry things. And men, again, men without God carry so much. And when you get God, you have someone to pass the buck to. You don't have to carry it on your own. You have someone that's there that you can talk to the Lord about. You can talk to the problems and watch how problems start working out. A father's blessing. You know, in the Old Testament, they blessed their children. In Genesis 27, 27 through 29, Jacob went to his father Isaac and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, um, he blessed Jacob and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and heaven's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. That's a, that's a powerful blessing. But in our generations, we don't really bless our kids like that. And it, what's wrong for, what would be wrong for us to speak blessing over our family, blessing over our children, give them something that we didn't get? And we can bless them also by praying for them regularly, asking God to steer them, asking God to direct them, asking God to fill them with his presence, asking God to reveal himself to us. I think one of the greatest things we can do as fathers and parents and mothers and everybody in this room is by praying for people around us that they might experience the Father in every way that they can. I think of Jesus. You know, the simple thing he did, he came, born, rose up to go into ministries. He's water baptized, going before us like us, signifying death, burial, and resurrection. And as soon as he came out of the water, he heard the voice, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I believe God wants to say that to all of us and to another generation of young people. I, my son, my daughter, in you, I am well pleased. Could you even believe that today, that God would say that over your life? Or do we always have some little voice, some little thing disqualifying us? God would say to us, because of Jesus Christ, he looks at us and he sees, and he says, I am well pleased with you.